A force for peace or a war of destruction? Two weeks ago, Turkish military started an offensive into northern Syria with a stated goal of creating a safe zone there for Syrian refugees currently living in Turkey. There's just one small problem. The area is largely inhabited by Kurds, a stateless nation who was a key NATO ally in defeating the so-called Islamic State, but also one with a strained relationship with the Turkish government. Do Turks support their president in his actions? And was the situation in the country three years after a failed coup attempt? Find out in today's Eurobabble, welcome! You're listening to Radio R, you're listening to Eurobabble. My guest today is Umut Uygur from Turkey. Salam, Umut. Salam, Martin. Hello, hello. Uh, so, Umut, uh, I talked about the operation in Syria. Can you tell us what were the first reactions of the Turks when they found out about the operation? Uh, so, to be honest, this wasn't the first uh, military operation of Turkey in northern Syria. Uh, this is actually the third time it's happening. Uh, it first started in 2016 and Turkey was raising concerns about uh, United States and the, the like Kurdish organization called PYD in northern Syria. So uh, this move was expected, but I must say it was a sudden move. So like no one was expecting it to happen and 9th of October 2019. Uh, so there was a huge reaction uh, in Turkey about the military operation. And it was just like uh, on the first page of every newspaper, as you can guess. Uh, mm-hmm. I can say that 90% of the Turks supported the operation. And what were the reasons uh, why 90% of the country supports the operation? Yeah, so... Uh, like from the foundations of the Turkish Republic, I can say Turkey is a quite nationalist country. And from the last elections, it's possible to tell that around 65% of the people vote for the nationalist parties or uh, more mm-hmm. right-leaning parties. So even though that was the case, the left-leaning party called CHP, the Republican People Party, uh even that supported the operation. So, voter-wise, the parties that supported the operation in the parliament represented 90-93% of the people voting. Uh, and I must say that Turkey is quite a political country, so uh, the turnout rates in the elections are quite high, as high as 85-90%. So everyone is, most of the time, following and supporting a party. and. When the decision was passed in the parliament to uh, push a military offensive in Syria, I think uh, how the parties uh, voted uh, affected how people think about the operation. Okay, so, and yeah, regarding the parties the in Turkey, uh, is there any like opposition party that uh, is strongly against the operation? Uh, there's only one opposition party in the parliament that's represented that's against the operation. It's called uh, People's Democratic Party. It's uh, it's 
a Kurdish party in the parliament. Uh, Makes sense, yeah. It's yeah, yeah. It's very big in the uh, southern part of Turkey, south southeastern part of Turkey. Yeah, where the Kurdish people are densely populated. Yeah, that was the only party opposing the operation. Mm-hmm. Right. One of yes. the reasons for the operation was uh, to be the over 3 million Syrian refugees who live in Turkey now. Um, how did life in Turkey change after the Syrian civil war started? Uh, yeah, so I'm actually from a very small town in Turkey called Kilis, which, is, which has a border with Syria, actually. Kilis, before the Syrian civil war, it, has, uh, it used to inhabit 80,000 Turkish people. Mm-hmm. And right now, the population of Kilis is over 250,000. And okay. the number of refugees are about to triple uh, the number of citizens of Kilis that used to live there before Syrian civil war. So there are a lot of Syrians coming into Turkey. And I think, that this is my opinion, government couldn't really manage how to handle this uh immigrant crisis in Turkey, the refugee crisis in Turkey. How many people was it that actually came? Yeah, so like the official state, the number is around 3 million to 4 million. However, that's, that number is not correct because uh, many people pass from the borders. Right. Uh, as I told you, I know like the town that's near Syria. So there are lots of unprotected places. Syrian people just like pass through. And I can say the number of refugees, Syrian refugees in Turkey right now is around 6 million to 7 million. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's a big number. What, yeah, uh, what steps understand. is the government doing to manage that sort of, uh, that sort of number of people? Uh, excuse me, could you repeat the question again? Uh, so what I'm basically interested about is uh, what's the common life, uh, the life together with so many new people like in Turkey? used to defend the Syrian refugees and allow them to come into Turkey. However, now, even the supporters of Erdogan are against Syrian refugees in Turkey because, as I told you, 70% of Turkey is uh, supporting nationalist opinions. And Syrian refugees had really hard time adapting to the country, if at all they adapted. So... Uh, the life of a refugee in Turkey is, in my opinion, very hard because they are working like way below the minimum wage level and living 20, 30 people in a small apartment just to save up some money and send it mm-hmm. back home to like take their relatives to Turkey with them because they are running away from the war. That's quite understandable. The war in Syria is just immense. Yeah. So... Turkish people did not really welcome the Syrian refugees uh, in Turkey and they they want them out. That's what I right. can tell yeah. how Turks feel. Yeah. You said that uh, you come from a town near the Syrian border. So do you remember yes. any specific changes or things uh, that became different uh, throughout the time? Oh yeah, of course, of course. So the last time I was there was actually about four months ago and we were trying to find a shuttle back to airport and we asked a couple of store owners we came into the store we asked the question in turkish 
and they couldn't understand mm-hmm. what we were asking. They they just only spoke uh, the language they speak in Syria. So I can say the like uh, social profile of the town I was from has changed quite a lot. It's uh, quite uncommon to see Turkish alphabet in the in the stores now. It's all. Uh, Syrian alphabet. It's it's like a town in Syria. So it's basically now, yeah. more people from Syria now than people from Turkey. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's as I told you, it's like double, triple the amount of people from Turkey. And most people that are Turkish that used to live in that town escaped because of like the uh, the bombs coming uh, over the border oh, okay. to that town. So it's mostly inhabited by Syrians at this point. So even your town, uh, even if it's in Turkey, was affected by the uh, actual military operations? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was affected, definitely, yeah. Uh, because this military conflict between Turkey and Syria is like escalated three years ago now, yeah. So... Uh, there used to be like bombings even and yeah like some bombs would spill over to places that civilians inhabited in turkey yeah mm-hmm. and uh, so the Sy- syrian civil war started in 2011 that's eight years ago yeah uh can you remember what your relationship with the syrian people or the country of syria was like before that uh yeah 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 i i can remember it's 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 been a huge roller coaster ride for Turkish politics and diplomacy, yeah. in my opinion. Uh, before 2011, the president of Syria, Bashar al-Assad, was a great. Uh, we, we were doing great with each other. It was a. Uh, we were allies, uh, mm-hmm. and even like Bashar al-Assad and uh, the president of Turkey, Tayyip Erdogan went out on a vacation with like their family so oh, they were doing good <laughs> but like uh yeah yeah and we had this ex uh, ex prime minister of turkey he used to be the uh, secretary of state uh in turkey and his idea was that the revolution in syria the civil war would end in six months so from the beginning in 2011 Turkey supported the rebels in Syria because they thought Assad would uh, not succeed in the war. Even if yeah. they had such good relationships before that. Yeah, they just ripped it off in like one day. They started supporting the rebels after the war broke out. Yeah. Why do you think is that uh, Turkish government just suddenly changed their minds? actually quite a deep question i don't really know what was going on so in the arab spring i think uh, it might be just like a bandwagoner thing and turkey thought it would get like some incentives from the new government that would form after bashar al-assad uh, and that's why turkey might have supported the rebels at that mm-hmm. point of the time because it was obvious that assad would lose the war okay. uh, in the beginning of the war mm-hmm. yeah it's it's quite conflict because it's not like two sides fighting with each other in the syrian civil war at this point of the time in my opinion there are like four sides in the war so that that's what makes the power dynamics quite complicated in syria in my opinion 
Right. Um, another yeah. nationality in the sense of this conflict are the Kurds. Yeah. What would you say is the first association that most of the Turks would have when you say Kurds or the Kurdish people? Um, so it's, in my opinion, it's not, definitely it's not terrorist because most of the Turkish people are aware that Kurds are a part of Turkey and they're part of like the Turkish Republic and they're an essential part of the Turkish Republic. Uh, however, when you say Kurd, probably most of the people uh, would think of them as uh, separatist people, but not terrorists, I can say. like The first association of a normal Turk would be something different than terrorist, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so what's the reason that yeah, the like, relationship to the Turkish government, if not the people, is so difficult? Oh yeah, that's that's probably a historical conflict that's, uh, that has been going on since the Turkish Republic was founded, probably. Uh, in the Ottoman Empire, when it was collapsing, there were different movements of ideology going through. So as the empire started shrinking, the... Uh, the Padishah, like the ruler of the empire, the Ottoman Empire, came up with different ideologies to hold people together. Mm -hmm. The first one was Pan-Ottomanism. It's like, we are all Ottomans, so we should stay and unite together. And after when, like, the uh, countries and Balkans, uh, they declare their independence, the Padishah, the ruler of the empire, only had Islamist people. So he said, okay, now our ideology is pan-Islamism. We are all Muslims, so we should stick together. <laughs> right. After the empire lost uh, Saudi Arabia, Oman, Yemen, uh, we only had Kurds and the Turks left. And Turks had the majority of the population. And that's why probably the emperor said, okay, let's have the ideology of pan-Turkism, which is like, all the Turks unite and that's probably the rooting factor because Kurds are not the same as Turks they're they're a different nation and Turkey was founded upon the ideals of pan-Turkism in my opinion and mm -hmm. that has been the reason the conflict has escalated over the years if you check like the first uprising so the Turkish Republic that happened in 1925 and 1937, they all happened from the Kurdish origin. Because the like essentially what holds the Kurds and the Turks together was at that point their religion. And when Turkey was founded upon the secularist uh, co uh, constitution, Kurds didn't feel like they connected with the new government okay. uh, that Mustafa Kemal Atatürk has founded. So it has been going on for a hundred years now, that conflict, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so you, you said that it's basically two different nations. Do you think that the life yeah. of a Kurd uh, is essentially the same or similar to what uh, like a majority Turk could live in Turkey? Or are there any huge differences? So this is, yeah, this is, uh, if you check the Kurdish like densely Kurdish populated areas, uh, you would see that the socioeconomic level is quite low than the densely populated Turkish places. But there might be a couple reasons for that because 
most of the cures are living in a place called the southeastern Anatolia, which doesn't really have any service sector, uh, like uh, industry-wise. It doesn't really have uh, any industries. It's not quiet and habitable uh, agricultural place. So that might be the reason that socioeconomically Kurds are not doing that well. But yeah, definitely there's a socioeconomic difference between a Turk and a Kurd mm-hmm. uh, in Turkey. Yeah, but yeah, we had a president that was Kurdish descent in Turkey, but he was, uh, yeah, most would argue that he was quite assimilated. But yeah, there's, yeah, I must, I must agree that there's a socioeconomic difference between a Kurd and a Turk. Right. If we take the example of a Kurd who would like to move to some big city in the West, so uh, I would imagine Mm -hmm. Ankara, Istanbul. Yeah. uh, Do you think that uh, there could be any problems just stemming from the person's background? Uh, That's that's quite a hard question. Uh, Because, yeah, like, uh, I kind of lived in a bubble in Turkey, to be honest. So... I'm not really sure if there was any racist acts against Kurds. In my opinion, as far as I seen and I felt from the news and from like uh, my relatives, I haven't really seen like a personal racist move against a Kurd. It's yeah. never personal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not like the uh, racism that used to be in the United States in like 1940s and 50s. Mm-hmm. So it's right. like never personal. But there is, in my opinion, uh, discrimination against all the Kurds in Turkey. So it's like a nationwide thing. Yeah. Like a collective thing. Yeah, yeah, it's collective. It's never individual, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. quite hard to explain because it's not, it doesn't really fit to the definition of racism that we define in our dictionaries, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, true. If we get back to the current situation, uh, it's very difficult because it was allowed basically by the uh, US president uh, withdrawing American troops from the area. Uh, then of course yeah. the Syrian forces came in, the Russian uh, the Russian president started to like affect his influence. It's very difficult. So do you think there is any clear outcome likely from all of this? Uh, yeah, so at this point of the time, I think it's quite easy to tell who is the loser of the Syrian civil war at this point? Yeah. Uh, so the Kurds had to. The Kurds had an autonomous uh, government in the northern and eastern Syria. It was called Rojava, and now it's probably going to be diminished because United States is not backing up the Kurds at this point. And so I think Kurds is definitely the one of the losers of this battle. And definitely United States. The United States was involved in this crisis over the past six, seven years at this point of the time. And the outcome is definitely not what United States wanted. So right now, I can say that the political density is around Russia in Syria. So in my opinion, Russia is the biggest winner in Syrian civil war. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure what Turkey's position is at this point of the time. We'll just see, yeah. Mm-hmm. So you basically see, if I put it in bleak words, no future for the autonomous region of Kurds, uh, Rojava, right? Uh, yeah, I don't see 
that's happening in Syria at least. So they have an autonomous region in the northern Iraq, but I'm I'm not seeing that's happening in Syria anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I know that you're not in Turkey right now, uh, but uh, are you aware yeah. of the operation uh, like affecting everyday life in Turkey? Uh, so as far as I followed from the news. It w- it didn't really impact the big cities such as like the pina- uh, the financial powerhouses like Izmir, Ankara, uh, Antalya, Izmir, Bursa. It did not affect the western cities mm-hmm. at all. But in the like border cities, I think the like they the people heard some bombs, uh, the the bullets, and they heard the and saw the tanks going through so they might have been scared and that's what like the most it could have happened in turkey at this point uh, i i don't think anything happened in turkey at all like a terrorist attack mm-hmm. like after the turkish military offense in syria yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so it didn't really affect the everyday life of the people in turkey in my opinion yeah and even in your small town near the border do you think that there were no big things Uh, so my town is kind of different because, uh, like the border, the, the Syrian part of the border of my town was, it's right now controlled by the Turk, Turkish government, Mm -hmm. like the 30 kilometers. So Turkey created a a so-called safe zone at that point, like in front of my town. So there was definitely nothing near my town, but, uh, yeah, like. Fighting happened. It happened in the border. Yeah. Okay. And uh, of course, it's uh, you aren't a mind reader, <laughs> but uh, what do you think that was the cause for this operation starting? Was it uh, the Syrian refugees, or was it the deal of the Kurds, or was it some strange power play? Uh, I know that it's just guessing, but still, do you think that you could take an educated guess? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. So, what I think is, right now, Erdogan is having a really hard time having his power around. Uh, he's losing a lot of votes lately, and the polls show that his approval ratings are all-time low, near 30% at this point, because there's a separatist movement going on in his party after there was a major defeat uh, by Erdogan, like, in the last local elections that happened in 2019. Right. So Erdogan is losing a lot of blood. And like my initial reaction was Erdogan did this to get his approval ratings back. Because Turkey is in economic crisis right now. It's not a lie at this point. And what Erdogan proposed was creating a so-called safe zone that's 30 kilometers. And it's like all through the border of Turkey and Syria and uh, inhabit 3 million people there. And it's like basically demolished at this point because it's where the most battles happened in the Syrian mm-hmm. civil war. And Erdogan pledged to invest over $50 billion dollars to there. So I think Turkey did not have that economic condition. Right now, like all the pledges have changed and like this, Last two weeks have been crazy between like the relations of Syria and Turkey. However, the initial uh, plan Erdogan proposed was 
like create a safe zone, so-called safe zone there, that's 30 kilometers in depth, invest 50 billion there, create cities, and uh, like uh, take refugees back to their home. Uh, I think that plan wasn't really good. And yeah, I thought it was like mostly Erdogan trying to grab his approval ratings back by creating a nationalist wave in Turkey because as you know, it's 70% of the Turkey is yeah, nationalist. Yeah, yeah. 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 That was what my initial reaction was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. To add on that, Turkey had some security concerns uh, because like to fight against ISIS, uh, United States armed the Kurdish, uh, Kurdish people, the, the, the called PYD. And I agree that like PKK is a terrorist organization and PYD is just a different name for PKK. So Turkey was concerned that the arm, uh, the strong arms the United States gave to the Kurds would be used against it. But I'm not sure if that operation would just like diminish all the uh, like all the weapons the United States gave. So I don't think that's like a super valid reason. And if somebody wants to do a terrorist attack, it's not like with uh, tanks and bombs at yeah, this point. Right. They just like sneak into the country and go into a populous place and just like strike one bomb. So mm. it's, yeah, I don't think it's like because of that because it doesn't really make sense and. Turkey has a national intelligence agency, a counterterrorism, so Turkey doesn't really have to create a military offensive into Turkey, into Syria to protect itself, in right. my opinion. So I guess it was mostly around Erdogan's concern about uh, the 2023 elections, or maybe elections might be like earlier as well because of the financial situation in Turkey. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Okay, thank you. I'm talking to Umut Uyghur about the recent Turkish military operation in northern Syria. We'll be right back. This is Radio R. You're listening to Europe Babel and my guest is Umut Uyghur from Turkey. We've just heard a part of the song Susaman by the Turkish rapper Sanisar and many other artists and the song's title translates to I Can't Stay Quiet. Uh, it was released in September and um, it's a harsh critique of Turkish social problems uh, with each verse dealing with a certain issue. The song has spurred a lot of discussion so um, Umut, can you tell us something more about it? Uh, yeah, so uh, I'm glad you like learned about the song because it's it's been a huge hit recently. It came out like two months, one month ago, and it has been a huge hit. Uh, and it's like talking about all the critical issues in Turkey right now. It, not just right now, but like since from the foundation of the Republic, maybe. Uh, some conflicts in, in Turkey are really big, and uh, the government doesn't really try to resolve it. Uh, I think like the democratic rights of Turkish people are decreasing every day and the song is protesting that. Uh, so there's a, like a group of people called White Turks in Turkey that hold the wealth in their hands mm-hmm. and the song is criticizing that because the hegemony of the White Turks hasn't decreased uh, 
even though Erdogan pledged to do that when he was running for president in the first time, when he was running for prime minister uh, in the first time. Yeah. So, um, yeah. What does uh, where does the name White Turks come from? Uh, it doesn't really have any meaning, but it's probably because uh, those are the people that didn't really work under the sun when Turkey used to be like an agricultural oh, okay. country. Uh -huh. They would just like sit in their home and like take all the money. So that might be the reason where White Turk name came from. Yeah, but yeah, that's White Turk is like a person that's coming from a wealthy family. Uh, that used to own like land and labor, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, and yeah, that's it. <laughs> and yeah, like violence against women is a big issue in Turkey as well, and it's talking about that as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, it's raising like it's a fourteen minutes long song. It's quite long, and it's criticizing uh, what the government and the people of Turkey is not trying to resolve the conflicts. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It doesn't really have anything like with the Kurdish conflict, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, what is it that Turkey has the biggest problem facing our country right now? Uh, the biggest concern is definitely like the economic concerns. Is that like an answer to your question, or are you talking about like more long-term conflicts? Um, if you think that uh, like the economic problems are the biggest problem right now, that that I think answers my question. Yeah. But do you yeah, think yeah, that yeah. also there are some problems like, that are like long-term, you mentioned? Uh, yeah, so like the long-term problems are, yeah, most of the time it's just like the Kurdish conflict in Turkey. But yeah, short-term it's the, uh, because like last year Turkey had a huge currency crisis. Mm -hmm. Turkish lira depreciated as, as much as like 40% in one day. And that just like changed all the economic dynamics in Tur Turkey. Uh, Istanbul is the biggest city in Turkey, and in the first 10 days of uh, July in Istanbul, no car was sold. So that kind of explains how the economic situation in Turkey is. In the biggest point. city in the in the in the country. Yeah, it's it, it's the biggest city in the country. It inhabits more than 15 million people. Yeah, right. And in the yeah. first 10 days of July. No car was sold in Istanbul. People don't really want to spend their money. They, and I can say, like, the Turkish economy is quite dollarized at this point. People just uh, switch to United States dollars when they get their wages and save up on United States dollars and euros. So the, uh, the confidence in Turkish era and Turkish economy is quite low. The com uh, the consumer com uh, confidence is quite low. It's rising, but it's still low, like all-time low in the right. last 20 years, maybe. And uh, you mentioned that you think that that might be connected to why Erdogan started to uh, move on with this operation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in my opinion, Turkish people... So, Turkey doesn't really have... Turkey... Turkish people didn't really earn their democracy, if that's uh, a right thing to say. I'm not sure, but yeah. So it's not like the French Revolution that happened, right? Yeah. The French people earned their democracy by fighting against the emperor. Yeah. Uh, after Mustafa Kemal Atatürk won and the Grand National Assembly won the Turkish Independence War, they just said, okay, we are going to found a republic. Mm -hmm. And people actually opposed founding a republic because... 
most of the time people in the war thought they were fighting for the empire and the emperor so turkey doesn't really have a culture of democracy right so it was like the elites we could say yeah so people losing their democratic rights in turkey does not really hit them at that point but Mm -hmm. there's a strong connection between the confidence in democracy and the confidence in economy when people like after the currency crisis when people everything's price rose because turkey is uh, dominated by uh, like brands from outside right and the economy is quite dollarized so a 40% movement in the uh, currency's value is a huge thing for the turkish economy right. after like 2 3 months after the uh, economic crisis the currency crisis Everything's price rose by 50, 60, 70% in Turkey. Mm-hmm. And the wages did not keep up with that. The wages only increased like 10, 15% no, no, at okay. most. So people felt poorer. And the people, Turkey has like this enlightenment that's connected to people's economic situations. When people felt poorer for the first time in Erdogan's rule, they rise up against Erdogan, and that caused Erdogan to lose a lot of approval rating, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Turkey remains a divided country, we could say politically, uh, with uh, President uh, Erdogan's supporters on one side and his opponents on the other. And one of the biggest uh, events, at least from an outsider point of view, uh, contributing to this divide was, I think, the attempted coup that had attempt uh, three years ago in 2016. Do you remember yeah. what you were doing when you had first found out that something was happening? Uh, I was in my home with my mom and the first reaction was most of the people thought that there was this military operation going on in one of the bridges of Istanbul and it was happening in prime time. It was happening at 7 p.m. in the evening and I remember some uh, watching some television and people were... Uh, thinking if it was a protection against a terrorist uh, movement or something. So people, at the first like uh, instant the movement started, begin, the movement started, people didn't really think it was a coup attempt. People thought it was like a counter-terrorist movement uh-huh. the military was doing. Yeah. But then it turned out what is actually happening. Uh, about like 30-40 minutes in, uh, around 8 p.m. in the evening, the Prime Minister Binali Yildirim, he was the candidate for Istanbul mayoral elections after this, he announced that the movement wasn't actually counter-terrorist. It was, it was uh, by some rebels in the military. That's how he stated. He stated it as like some rebels in the military are like doing a movement. That, that's what he said, yeah. Mm-hmm. So after that, uh, the president Recep Tayyip Erdogan, he he was broadcasted live. He was on FaceTime and he invited people to go out in the bridge and mm-hmm. like wherever they see soldiers and uh, rise up against them. So yeah, Erdogan invited people to go into the streets and yeah, like Erdogan's fans are quite loyal, so they just like went out in the streets. Millions were out in the streets, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I remember that Turkey has like a history of uh, those military coups. Why is that? Uh, as I told you, Turkey didn't really earn its democracy. Uh, the Turkish people, at least. 
the Turkey as country earned its democracy but Turkish people. So the Turkish army because Turkey was founded by uh, Turkish soldiers because they were Turkey didn't really have the Ottoman Empire didn't really have a good education system for the people. Uh, the most educated people in the Ottoman Empire were the high-ranked soldiers, the army officials. And those were the people who founded the Turkish Republic. So the constitution gave the army uh, a mission, actually, uh, to protect Turkey's secularist and uh, national interest. Mm -hmm. That's why who happened in 1916, 1970, 1980, and there was this postmodern coup, it's called, uh, it happened in 28 February 1993. The tanks, in the, the tanks just rolled in the street and the government resigned, so it was actually a coup. Mm -hmm. uh, so Turkey has a long history of coups, and it's probably because the Turkish Republic was founded by army officials, and that gave them a mission to quote-unquote protect uh turkey turkey and turkish like secularism and nationalism right yeah. right how did the atmosphere in the country change after the last attempt uh so yeah erdogan gained a huge support after the uh the the coup attempt because like the coup attempt was uh it was tried by a group called the Gulenist movement so it's uh, I don't know how to write for that uh, Fethullah Gulen the like founder of the Gulenist movement used to be a priest in Turkey he used to be uh, a Islamic man and he had huge support in Turkey and Erdogan was actually a supporter of Fethullah Gulen when he was the mayor of Istanbul when he was prime minister in the first. However, in 2012, their paths started to diverge. Some people think it was because uh, Fethullah Gülen demanded to have some ministers in the cabinet, and Erdogan did not give him the uh, ministers Fethullah Gülen wanted. And after then, uh, the tape started to leak. Maybe you heard about it. The corruption scandals, uh, yeah. Erdogan's uh, the Erdogan's tape with his son uh, talking about laundering billions of dollars leaked. Uh, so yeah, there was a huge controversy against Erdogan because of like the dogfight between the Gülenist movement and Erdogan. However, there was this one fact. Gülenist movement hurt a lot of people. Like people from AKP, like the government's party, people from the opposing party. It even hurt me because my dad was going to be a professor in Turkey. However, the Gülenist movement, the people from Gülenist movement did not want my dad to be a professor because he was a secular and uh, oppos like he was a secular and... Mm -hmm. uh, and they were like man. a religious yeah. group. So yeah, he wasn't in that type of, he wasn't that type of person. So they denied him to be a professor for five years. So, like, even after the coup attempt, I supported Erdogan to, like, get rid of the Gülenist movement in Turkey. Yeah. I can say 90%, 95%, anyone who doesn't have to do anything with the Gülenist movement supported Erdogan against his, uh, against Gülenist movement. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
if if we get back to the first question, how the atmosphere changed in the country after the attempt, uh, were there any like noticeable changes in that? Uh, yeah, there was this. Uh, so people, uh, it's very hard to describe the atmosphere in Turkey, but Erdogan gained a huge support. Gülen was the number one public enemy. It was the scapegoat. Erdogan did like horrible, horrible things in democracy. And Erdogan just said, like, he came to the nationwide television, he said, uh, they tricked me. And that's like, that he thought that cleaned him. So, and people forgave Erdogan uh, of his previous cooperation with the Gulen movement. Mm-hmm. So, I can say that, like, the winner of that situation was definitely Erdogan because the scapegoat of all the bad things that happened in Turkey was Fethullah Gülen at that point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's true. Erdogan has, like, the stain of blood in his hands as much as Fethullah Gülen does. But, yeah, Erdogan gained a huge, huge support afterwards. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what do you think is Erdogan's vision for Turkey? How does he want to change the country? in the time i don't even know if erdogan has a mission or not uh when he came in he promised to change like the critical democratical issues in turkey and that's why like even lgbtq supported erdogan in the first like election in 2002 uh, because like he promised to give the gays and the lesbians democratic rights the like maybe right to marriage, mm-hmm. maybe, yeah. Mm-hmm. This was stated in a live broadcast show. And did they However, get it? Erdogan did not really keep his promise on most of the things. Okay. So at this point in the time, I'm not sure what Erdogan dreams of. Yeah, he had goals of 2023, but right now it's all demolished because of the, the currency crisis. Mm-hmm. He appoints his son-in-law for to be the finance minister, the minister of economics. And he's not doing that well. So Erdogan, I think, doesn't really have a clear mission for mm-hmm. Turkey at this point of the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if we imagine that uh, Erdogan loses the next election, in theory, uh, what's the state of the opposition? Is Are there any like big political leaders that also have another maybe vision or mission for Turkey? Uh, yeah, I think the scar of the political arena in Turkey is uh, the mayor of Istanbul, Ekrem Imamoğlu. Uh, so after the elections in 31st of March 2019, uh, Ekrem Imamoğlu emerged as a dark horse candidate, actually. No one really believed that he could win against the ex-Prime Minister Binali Yıldırım in a city like Istanbul, which was governed by uh, the the like ideology of Erdogan for the past 25 years. And Erdogan actually rose to be a prime minister by being the mayor of Istanbul. Mm-hmm. So I think a strong candidate for the next uh, elections might be Ekrem Imamoğlu in the eyes of the people. It's not my opinion, but in the eyes of the people, mm-hmm. uh, people uh, think Ekrem Imamoğlu would be a good president, presidential candidate. Yeah, yeah, because he's the only person that has the popularity to maybe fight against Erdogan. There's no other political uh, personality that might uh, fight against Erdogan in an election. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Geopolitically, Turkey is a part of NATO, but uh, we've been talking about how Russia uh, is warming up its relationships with Turkey. Uh, what is the like popular opinion about, uh, well, let's begin with the United States, maybe. What do most people think of their NATO ally, United States, to put it that way? Uh, it's funny because I read a research article about this uh, just uh, quite a few days ago. And in the article, it stated 86% of Turkish people do not believe that the United States is an ally of Turkey. So mm, okay. there's this huge insecurity against the uh, United States and mm -hmm. Turkey. And this is actually, uh, this, be, this has been diagnosed by some psychologists and some sociologists in uh, Turkey and uh, internationally. People in Turkey, 60% of the people in Turkey is believed to have Sersend syndrome, which is, so the Ser Treaty was uh, in 1920, uh, France, Great Britain, Italy proposed a treaty uh, for uh, ceasefire to Ottoman Empire, and it invaded most of the places in Anatolia. So people think that, like the West and the United States, like all the time cooperating to make Turkey bad. I don't think that's true, but yeah, like people mm -hmm. feel insecure about the West and the United States. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what's or who's the who's Turkey's biggest ally right now? Uh, well, to be honest, I don't believe Turkey has any allies at this point. It's probably countries. So like the countries that we did not fight against, like uh, fight politically against in the last five years are probably only the Turkic countries like Azerbaijan. Turkmenistan, Kazakhstan, even with Russia, we had like a political escalation uh, of like uh, shooting down a uh, fighter jet. Oh, yeah, I remember Syria. that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, so Turkey is not like quite stable uh, right now of the dynamics with the allies, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's quite a hard question to answer that mm -hmm. one. Yeah. yeah, okay. Okay, thank you. Uh, Umut Uygur is my guest here on Europe Bubble today. We'll be back after this song. You've tuned into Radio A. Me and Umutuga from Turkey are back in Eurobubble after Alma Saidi Sonumus Böyle by Ahmed Kaya. I hope that I pronounced that correctly. Um, inviting a Turkish guest to a show named Eurobubble raises one very tricky question I've got for you now. Don't feel too like, pressured to answer either way. So the question is, is Turkey Europe? That's actually a very, very difficult question to answer. And that's a question I asked to the candidates of European Youth Parliament Club in our high school, in my high school, like three years ago, actually. Mm -hmm. But my answer to that question is, Turkey is definitely not a completely European country. However, I can say that the like people controlling the wealth of Turkey, like the wealthy people in Turkey, like the top 5-10% economically, they are 
living very close to the European IPLs, like, uh, so like it's quite strange to state it as European ideals, but the life of a wealthy person in Turkey is quite similar to the life of a person in France, mm-hmm. in United Kingdom. Uh, the resources, the access to resources is quite similar. However, that's why like people surrounding me thinks that uh, Turkey is a European country. So that's a, that's the reason I asked that question. You have to think Turkey as a country that's like from the west the mo- most western point to the most eastern point and i can say that like if you pass ankara and go eastern parts of the turkey so that's like the 60% uh, land wise uh, uh, turkey it's not living like european at all and the access to the resources is quite different from europe the education system is different from europe people's education level is way different than Europe. So that's why I do not consider Turkey as a European country. I do not consider Turkey as a Middle Eastern country as well, because the people controlling the wealth of Turkey, they are not Middle Eastern at all. Mm. So Turkey is just like... Turkey uh, is being Turkey. Turkey is being Turkey. And there's like a famous saying in Turkey. So being a Turkish is like being on a ship that's headed to the west and walking on the dock to the eastward so you're <laughs> okay. never sure wherever you are going in turkey yeah uh-huh. and when you travel around europe what are what is it that most people you feel like think about turkey what is the attitude that you get oh uh, so in europe the attitude i get is quite friendly because most of the european people at some point in their lives meet with turkish people and i think like characteristically turkish people are quite hospitable and fun people however the case in the united states is quite different because most of the people in living in the united states that i met haven't even gotten out of their state at all because the united states is just like 50 different countries collapsed into one right right so people ask me if we ride camels and Turkey. So yeah, that's a question I come up with a lot. <laughs> okay. The, like the American perspective is that Turkey is a Middle Eastern country. Like the life is quite similar to the life in Saudi Arabia. That's what the Americans think. But the Europeans like think quite similar to the reality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, also many people from Turkey have emigrated to Europe. Maybe, well, definitely more than to the United States. Uh, especially yeah, yeah, yeah. like uh, there was this Gasarbeiter movement in Germany, uh, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Do you also have people in your family, or do you know like people who had emigrated to Europe back then? Uh, my family do not have any people that immigrated to Europe at that time. Uh, but yeah, a lot of Turkish people immigrated to Europe, and right now in Germany, there's over like. Uh, 20, over than 3 million Turks living in Germany at this point of the time and there are a lot of Turks living in Austria, United Kingdom uh, it's not that much in Czech Republic but yeah I'm sure there are a couple but yeah Turks are all over the Europe yeah, yeah. I mean like in the Czech Republic there's not that much of them but they seem to have invaded the entire street food industry I have to say <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like kebabs pizzas mostly kebabs but like <laughs> like thinking of kebabs are they also like a 
midnight snack for you in Turkey as well because yeah, for I us it's when you are drunk and hungry then you go for a kebab definitely. Uh, yeah, Tur- like kebab is definitely not a midnight food in Turkey. It's not something to snack on. It's actually a fancy food. Okay. You actually dress up to go to a kebab restaurant. So most of the time it's not like a street food in Turkey. <laughs> yeah. Is there any is there any like so that sort of street food that you think would be similar to what we uh, uh, view kebab? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there is kokoreç, uh, which is the lamb intestine. It's it sounds disgusting, but it tastes awesome. So like, if any of the listeners go to Turkey, they should definitely try kokoreç. Yeah, it's what midnight snack in Turkey is really. Yeah. Uh huh. Uh huh. And so, uh, just to get quickly back to the original question about the emigrants, uh, yeah. uh, the people that went to Europe in the 60s, uh, from Turkey to Europe, uh, when they come back now or when they like interact with their uh, fellow Turks that stayed in Turkey, uh, what's the relationship like? Okay, so this is a great question. And uh, there's there's a famous saying that's by one of the singers that like immigrated to Germany and immigrated back to Turkey afterwards. She says, "I'm a foreigner in Germany and I'm a foreigner back in Turkey as well." Mm-hmm. So most of the people have hard time adapting. Like they most of the time come back for like a month for in the summer for a vacation, and the attitude against them by the Turks is not good at all. They try to rip them off because they're like wealthier because they earn euros there, and yeah, because of the currency crisis, <laughs> yeah. value like anything at this point. So yeah, people try to rip them off. Can you tell that someone comes from Europe though? Uh, is it like the accents or the way they dress? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The accent, the way like they dress, it's such a different. Yeah, we are living in two different worlds, so they're not like Turkish anymore. So. They created a new subculture in their like ghettos they're living mm-hmm. in, mm-hmm. and they accept that they do not really think of themselves as Turks. They mm-hmm. accept that subculture they created in the ghettos. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What's the main difference between their culture and like majority Turkish culture right now? Ah, uh, well, that's something I'm not very familiar with because I didn't really have the chance to interact with uh, the immigrants Mm -hmm. in Germany. But most of the people who immigrated to Germany were not the educated people. They were the people that did not even take a step out of their village at that time because most of the people that immigrated to Germany at that time in the 1960s immigrated to be a worker there, right? Because Germany did not have the man force at that point. So uh, they actually brought their culture from the village to Germany and then they preserved that in the ghetto. So it's like interacting with a person that's from a village, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's, yeah, yeah, it's quite hard for me to uh, answer that because yeah, I, I can imagine have yeah, the if that's the case. To, yeah, interact with a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, what's the situation in Turkey now? Is there a lot of people going out of the country and emigrating? Uh, so in 2018, the year I uh, came to the United States, 250,000 Turkish people immigrated abroad 
And that was a huge number because most of the people that are immigrating are, are the brain force of Turkey, actually. Uh, so I'm from an American high school and we had 200 people gradu- in my graduating class. And 70% of the people, so around 150 of them, graduated. And my high school was actually the best high school in Turkey. And you can say that Turkey is losing a lot of brain power at this point mm-hmm. uh, because of the confidence is low in the country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the brain power is going out. And yeah. do you think that they will all come back at one point? Uh, so, like, most of my friends that I interact with, uh, they have, like, the hope that Turkey would be a better country someday and go back. So, I can say that, like, except the immigrants that went from 1960, because they they just created their subculture and they are not really happy when they come back to Turkey. But as a person that grew up in Turkey for my first 18, 19 years of my life and my friends, mm-hmm. we all want to go back to Turkey at some day if the situation in Turkey gets better. And if we think that we can earn a competitive age in Turkey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so let's hope that the situation does get better. It was nice chatting to yeah, you, yeah. but thank you for finding the time for this show. Uh, thank you, Martin, for having me over the show. It was a great pleasure to... Uh, reunite with you and talk about Turkish politics. And that's the end of Eurobubble at Radio R. Thank you for sticking with us today. You can like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And if you missed a part of the episode, you can find it on Spotify and Mixcloud soon. My guest today was Umut Ugo from Turkey. From Bern, the heart of Europe, I'm Martin Vesseli. Goodbye. <laughs>